0: All right. This is episode number eight of Into the Absurd with David Goodwin. All right. What is felony disenfranchisement?
1: So felony disenfranchisement uh, in the United States is uh, defined as the sp- suspension or withdrawal of voting rights due to conviction of a criminal offense. Essentially, um, it just means that people who are convicted felons lose the right to vote um, upon, you know, going to jail or going to prison or uh just being convicted in the court process uh there's a lot of uh debate on this topic specifically dealing with um uh the moral grounds of it or uh specifically if felons should be able to vote at all or you know at what stage in their conviction process they should be able to vote uh there's also talk of you know does the social contract justify felon disenfranchisement uh and also uh, talks of distributive justice, which is that um, there must be some administrative inputs in the United States that are sound if there's ever be outcomes that are just. Uh, essentially, this just means uh, in the United States that we need just systems to ensure just outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about the United States elections, uh, specifically primary um, national elections, uh, suppressing the vote of some peoples uh, may trigger uh, a fault in this distributive justice.
0: And could you kind of go into the social contract theory before we dive into this?
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, there's a couple different ways people use, a couple different frameworks people use to justify uh, felon disenfranchisement or felony disenfranchisement. Uh, One of them would be the social contract. So just very briefly, and I'm no uh, expert on this, but Mm -hmm. uh, there's... That's right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Rousseau, Locke, and Hobbes, right? Uh, They all have this idea that uh, we... Uh, individuals offer sovereignty up to an organization or a collective uh, and eventually this turns into a government type of system uh, they indiv- they surrender individual sovereign- sovereignty meaning that they give up some freedoms in order to guarantee themselves safety mm-hmm. so in modern day this kinda of looks like you know when you're born in the United States you don't sign a formal contract like it's no written contract uh, but if you live in the United States you have to abide by the laws and if you break the laws you're punished for that and that's kind of what the the modern social contract is applied to uh, the United States today. So uh, I'm going to be going over some not so fun stuff that just being like the the facts of the case and uh, the different issues surrounding the topic and then eventually we'll be able to dive into the fun stuff or the philosophical issues Um, but it's really important to understand uh, the ramifications of felony disenfranchisement before actually delving into if it's right or wrong because if you don't really know if it's right or wrong yet, uh, it's really difficult to take a position, I guess, just without the evidence purely. Uh, So as an intro, uh, I'm going to talk with some facts uh, and also my position as just a disclaimer. So the sentencing project finds that in the 2016 presidential election, over 6 million American citizens were prohibited from voting due to laws that disenfranchised citizens convicted of felony offenses. This topic is charged with philosophical debate, right? But Before, like I said, having any fun, we have to understand what this is all about. And just as purely as a disclaimer, uh, I present the topic in uh, kind of a descriptive and normative manner, although I have a very strong position and I want to make that clear. Um, I believe that American citizens ought uh, to be able to vote. It should be an inalienable right and expressed freely rather than some type of revocable right. Uh, and I understand that a lot of people don't hold this position. That, that's great. I think uh, I like to hear from other people. I constantly ask other people what their position is. Uh, and I'll do my best to accurately portray both sides of the discussion with some objectivity. Uh, but I just want to give a little disclaimer there. Uh, today we'll be talking about a few different things. Um, so first, obviously the facts. We'll talk about the historical developments of felony status, uh, conviction status, that being like imprisonment, pr- imprisonment parole, probation, or post-sentence. We'll talk about how some different states uh, formulate these laws and what they look like today. Uh, And then we'll talk about how different people in the political atmosphere today justify uh, these laws. Um, Eventually we'll get to the fun stuff, which is the philosophical debate, and uh, that shouldn't take too long. So first I want to just ask, uh, this is something I ask a lot of my friends when I'm trying to begin this discussion, uh, so, Greg, do you think a felon should be able to vote? And if so, at what stage in their conviction should they be allowed to vote?
0: I do think that they should be allowed to vote. Um, and at what stage in their conviction should they be allowed to vote? Me, personally, as soon as they get out of prison. Mm-hmm. The, the moment they step foot outside of the prison, that's when they should be allowed to vote. Whether you're on probation or not as soon as you're outside of that prison, you should be allowed to vote.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, A lot of people take that position um, that are advocating for the restoring of rights. Uh, I know there, I'll get into it, but I know there's only two states that let you vote while in prison. Uh, I believe that being Maine and Vermont. Uh, They're able to vote regardless of criminal status. It's just, those are called unrestricted voting states. Um, I share uh, share a similar line of reasoning, but I think you should be able to vote regardless of conviction status. Uh, purely being that I don't think being in prison makes you any less of a human or a, a citizen of the United States. Obviously, you're losing some rights and you're losing some freedom, being uh, you know in the system. But uh, I don't see how individuals in the system are uh, unable to express their uh, political beliefs or their ideological preferences while in uh, in prison. I think uh, I think that requires some talking about. But um, I largely agree with that as well. So we'll talk about some. Some interesting, uh, interesting developments over the years. So, I'm no expert on ancient Greece or Athenian democracy. Don't quote me here, but um, I do know that uh, people that were um, convicted criminals uh, in Athens uh, in ancient Greece did lose their rights. They weren't able to participate politically. And I know that you know a lot of people in ancient Greece weren't able to participate politically. Right? Like I'm pretty sure is actually I'm not even sure what it is. I'm pretty sure it's just men. Um, But... Yeah, I think uh, it
0: was uh, male property
1: owners. Yeah, I think it was male property owners. Yeah, exactly. Eventually, um... Yeah, I guess... Yeah, that's how it worked, right? It was male property owners, and they would be stripped of their rights to vote uh, or participate politically. Then we go to medieval Europe, and that's where this concept of civil... or civic death spawns from. So the idea is that once you violate the laws or, um, you know, you lose in court or you kill someone, right? Some some convicted... uh, offense. You lose, I guess, all your ties to the the state you're in, I guess, right? You're no longer protected by the state. It's a strict interpretation of the social contract theory, thereby meaning when you commit a criminal offense, you are no longer protected by the state and essentially it boils down to anyone can kill you. Mm-hmm. And um, that may sound pretty stark, but that's just the way it was. Civil death is the loss of all or almost all civil rights by a person due to a conviction for a felony or due to an act uh, by the government of a country that results in the loss of civil rights. Uh, This obviously uh, was in Athens, but uh, truly civil death originated in medieval Europe. Uh, It meant that any citizen could publicly execute a felon uh, with impunity due to uh, felon's status as a reject of society. So this was a little messed up. Uh, maybe it was justified, I don't know, I didn't live in Mm -hmm. medieval Europe, Um, but if you're a convicted felon, you could be publicly executed and there would be no repercussions for any party involved. Obviously, it's not like that quite today, Um, but uh, it has developed uh, over the years. We go to the Mayflower and we get to the United States and uh, post-revolutionary war when we're state building, Um, we developed the same same ideas out of medieval Europe uh, in England being People that are felons should not be able to participate in the same uh, conduct or manner that uh, non-felons do, right? We don't want to, like, quote-unquote, corrupt the system. So it uh, transpired over the years, and in 1890s, uh, the courts uh, ended up suppressing the black vote by specifying felony offenses that were thought to be largely perpetrated by African Americans. Now this is rather interesting, right? Uh, Lawmakers and legislators uh, decided that they would want to suppress the black vote, you know, for whatever uh, personal interest reason there is out there. And to do such, they end up um, localizing some misdemeanors and turning them into felony offenses, which in turn would uh, focus on one target group and suppress their vote, right? If you're a felony, you can no longer vote. And this was largely commonplace uh, in the late 1800s when this was taking place. Now, there's a lot of different talk about where states are at today. And so it's, it's a little confusing, right? So what it boils down to is that felony disenfranchisement is not a federal law. It's a, it's a law that originates in the state legislature. And so we have all these different laws in uh, constantly changing laws. I think Florida recently changed in 2018 their, their voting rights laws uh, that change who can vote uh, and at what stage in their conviction process they can vote. So there's a like four different main things i need to talk about in this area just to explain it and that being imprisonment imprisonment parole probation and post sentence imprisonment would be uh, an individual is physically confined to a state institution right just in prison parole would be uh, much later in the conviction process it's granted by a parole board after the offender has some, served some time in prison or you know perhaps sometimes a lot of time probation is handed down by the judge at the time of sentencing uh, it doesn't have to come with jail time, but it can. Uh, the judge will specify restrictions restrictions on the offender's activities during their probationary period. And then we have post sentence, which is all the time spent out of the conviction process after you've gone through parole, probation, or imprisonment. Uh, just being a regular citizen in the United States, living your job or living your life, uh, you know, doing your job. Uh, post sentence encapsula- encapsulates all the time afterwards. So now we get into some state policies. Like I said earlier, Maine and Vermont are the only states where convicted felons are allowed to vote regardless of criminal status. Unrestricted voting states is what they're called. There are 18 states that only prohibit felons from voting while physically incarcerated or in prison. There are three states that prohibit felons from voting while in prison or on parole. There are 17 states that prohibit felons from voting while in prison, on parole, or on probation. So that being that they can vote post-sentence. And there are 11 states that prohibit felons from voting at any time in their lives. However, it must be noted that, uh, like I said, like Florida, uh, for instance, in the last four years, there's been a lot of reform taking place. Um, so in these last 11, uh, 11 states that prohibited them from voting any time in their lives, uh, it's the data has changed recently in the last four mm-hmm. years. Uh, there are a lot of issues with felony disenfranchisement, right? We have um, suppressing the uh, black vote, which is um, a topic with a, a lot of literature online, and uh, it's, it's just simple. It's that, uh, reinforces, uh, structural racism by suppressing the voices of African-Americans uniquely. Um, something that's really interesting and must be talked about is the 2000 election with, uh, Bush v. Gore, right? So we have Florida, it boils down to Florida, right? And I'm not talking to here about the chads or the hanging chads, right? I'm talking about specifically, uh, who is able to vote. And now when it comes down to it, I'm not sure, do you know the exact number? I think it was 550-ish people, uh, i guess the, the voting difference. yeah
0: i actually don't know
1: I, I think it's it's a little over 500 it might be like 550 ish by notes between 500 and 600 uh and that was people that votes that decided the election um specifically in florida uh where this all took place 50 percent 15 percent of the black population uh, was not able to vote so uh when you factor in you know the, the commonly uh commonly referenced notion that African-Americans are more likely to vote Democratic, and I'm not saying that's correct or not correct. I, I'm not an expert in that area, but um, there's a lot to be said about, you know, if those uh, that 15% of uh, the black vote was able to actually vote, you know, it could have actually swayed towards Gore, and it wouldn't have been such a close election. Um, that's all speculation, and you know, who's to say what, but uh,
0: Take with that what you will.
1: Yeah, do that what you will. Um, has serious implications for democracy, nonetheless. Uh, in 2016, um, I believe that's where the six over 6 million number comes from. I believe 6 million, uh, over 6 million uh, Americans were unable to vote. Um, and I'm not sure in 2020, we don't have uh, the specific numbers yet in 2020. We probably won't get that for another year, uh, year half a year, but um, soon enough we'll have the juicy data. Uh, but now we can finally get into how people justify these policies, these state policies. So a lot of this evidence ends up coming from Reeman in 2005 in his article "Liberal and Republican Arguments Against the Disenfranchisement of Felons." I don't want to twist these arguments, and I don't want to use too charged of language here because I know um, I know a lot of people take this to heart. But uh, I'm going to refer to the Republicans probably as the right and the Democrats as the left, and um, because they justify felony disenfranchisement in different ways. And yes, they both justify it, uh, saying that felons shouldn't be able to vote, but they do so a little differently. So first, I'm going to start with uh, the left. Um, the, the argument generally presented by them is that felons have violated the social contract, thus forfeiting their political rights. This is what I would call a strict interpretation of the social contract theory, but I'll get into that a little more later. Hmm. The right generally uh, justifies it by saying that uh, felons have demonstrated a lack of civic virtue, which is necessary for the proper exercise of the right to vote. And actually, I have um, a fun little quip from, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell in 2002, right? This is following to the 2000 elections a couple years later. Um, and this was uh, a speech over a bill to secure federal voting rights to ex-felons. Mitch McConnell said, voting is a privilege, a privilege properly exercised at the voting booth, not from a, not from a prison cell. States have a significant interest in reserving the vote for those who are abided, those who abided by the social contract that forms the foundation of a representative democracy. He goes on to say, "Those who break our laws should not have a voice in electing those who make and enforce our laws. Those who break our laws should not dilute the vote of law-abiding citizens." So while the left may uh, defend felony disenfranchisement, saying, "You know, uh, once you commit a, a heinous crime or a felon, like you know, some felonious behavior, right, mm-hmm. uh, you lose the ability to vote," is just one of the the many rights you lose. Uh, while the Republicans believe um, kind of a prehistoric notion of what fel- felons look like, I guess, them being that they're not necessarily less than human, but they don't have um, the ability to make rational or like keen decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so real quick, before I move on to the social contract, I want to talk about this a little bit. So uh, first off, uh, the social contract theory, the justification on the left, um, I take issue with this. So I think the social contract theory underscores the importance of the right to vote. Uh, In application of this framework to this debate the vote felony disenfranchisement debate, um, it it also kind of holds that thieves should be tattooed on the forehead with a large T. Kind of like a priesthood, like medieval Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I take issue with this because I don't think it requires such a strict interpretation. You know, the social contract uh, can be used to justify... um, a litany of laws in the United States. I don't think there's any issue with that. I think a lot of laws are justified under their social contract uh, theory. But specifically for this scenario in voting rights, I think um, it doesn't adequately, adequately capture what these state legislators uh, are trying to put forth. That being that felons shouldn't be able to vote. I don't think the social contract theory really you know, clarifies the, the limits to, to what rights you can restrict or how far you can restrict them. I think it's underscored in the, the social contract theory, in the literature for uh, Locke, Rousseau, and Hobbes, but also that, you know, we don't abide by, in the United States, um, we don't really abide by such a strict interpretation anymore, I mean, law is constantly developing and changing, but I think as it continues to do such, uh, we'll move away from that more and more, and I think we are currently. Um, second on the social contract theory, um, it, it supports the ideas should actually have the right to vote when they complete their sentence. Uh, in the United States, like we're not such social uh, strict social contract interpreters that like films don't emerge back into society, right? Like you know after you complete your sentence, probation, like parole, imprisonment, whatever it is. After that, you know you might it might be more difficult to get a job, right? But you are reintegrated into society by some measure, right? Uh, and I think you you can't like you can't successfully reintegrate individuals into society under the United States system without voting rights right it let's say um an individual is imprisoned for um let's say any illegal act uh hmm. right when they're imprisoned and they lose their right to vote let's say it becomes a, a moral issue right so they knew it was wrong but they had to do it right uh maybe it's like they are i don't know trafficking insulin across interne- like national borders or whatever let's say it's like some normative issue now, it doesn't have to be that that scenario but uh when it comes down to it these individuals made uh, a rational decision to do such and once they've completed their, uh, the entire conviction process, um, they have to be reintegrated in a way that uh, permits them to make change in the society they live in. Right. If they want to make change, maybe, you know, disobeying the law wasn't the best way to do it. and Obviously not everyone can, can do that and abide by the laws. Um, but the only way to actually change in people that feel the most convicted to change such laws, are those that have been affected by them, and so I think when you take away that population uh, of people that feel convicted to uh, to strike down these laws, then you know you don't have much of a fighting force. It becomes a tool, uh, a political tool for state legislators to ensure that they you know they stay in power and laws look what, like what they want them to look like, rather than the people they represent. Uh, like permanent social reform means treating felons like normal citizens. Without this reciprocity. The social order is doomed to disorder and entropy. Um, the social contract aims for you know stabilizing uh, like groups of people, and you know if people disobey the social contract, you know we don't kill them anymore, right? We rehabilitate them or imprison them, and that's an entirely different debate. But if we're ever to move towards a system that um, correctly fixes, or if we're ever to move towards a better prison system or a better voting rights system, it has to start with. Uh, recognizing that there are groups that are disproportionately affected by the current laws in the United States. And when we address these, we can uh, then start applying better frameworks than um, what I would call a strict interpretation of social contract theory. Now, on the right, uh, I take issue with the lack of civic virtue argument um, for, I guess, similar reasons. Uh, The the notion stems from an oddly accepted exaggeration that felons are vastly different from law-abiding citizens. Um, right. So I, it stems from this idea that if you're a felony, you not, you are less than a non-felon, right? Um, I mean, I think this is just morally corrupt, maybe bankrupt, but, um, and this is changing, right? Less and less people feel this way or or, or think Mm -hmm. this way. Uh, but I think it's still entrenched in the political process where, you know, felons shouldn't have the right to vote or to hold office or vote. Um, this boils down to felons not being rational actors. And I think a lot of the time felons are rational actors. Um, but yeah, I I just think this, this is stretched too far. I don't think, you know, felons are any less of people. And I think a lot of the times they, uh, and not, not all the time, right? But a lot of the time, uh, they get in trouble for things that, um, Maybe they don't think they should have, or society generally thinks they shouldn't have, but they did, like trafficking marijuana or holding marijuana in a non-legalized state, for instance. Um,
0: Which, for more or less, doesn't really affect anyone.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, it really only affects, you know, who chooses to disobey and who chooses to, to go against the law. Um and there is debate here about what like felonious behavior and that, that word's really funny funny to me so I use it but what felony acts uh constitute uh maybe anti virtuous behavior. Um so, you know, like murder or like mass murder or whatever, rape, uh what kind of felony acts, you know, should be uh should be used to prohibit voting rights per se. Um, like, I'm not advocating that all felons should keep their rights. Uh, some, like, some rights must be stripped to protect society, right? So maybe, you know, restricting uh, the the ability to own a gun for felons is uh, is the ultimate good. I'm not really sure on that, but I think overall there are some rights that felons should lose. Hmm. Uh, I'm not an expert in that area. I, I'm only really curious about felon as disenfranchisement, but um, voting rights are integral to democratic functions and are seemingly harmless, right? Like no one's going to, I mean, there are people that vote like as a troll, right? So like Kanye West people voting for Kanye West, right? Um, But I don't think anyone with like real intentions to participate in the democratic process uh, or like with real political interest, like can manipulate their vote in a way that, you know, really affects or negatively affects like the election mm. uh like for instance i don't know people that smoke marijuana like they're not any less intelligent or uh any less capable of making it like a, a qualified voting decision in any election right it just boils down to um what we think of felons overall and i'm not saying like they're all marijuana smokers and, and that are felons right <laughs> but, but uh there are a substantial number of them um What's really interesting is I was talking about Florida earlier. So in 2018, they reformed voting laws to restore rights to m- most felons. There's a caveat there. I'm not really sure what it is. But it's most felons except for murderers and sex offenders. And I agree with this method of reform and think at at a minimal it's a step in the right direction. I think this takes some explicating because I say all people should, should be able to vote. And now I'm saying you no, know, just not sex offenders or murderers. And I think what it boils down to is... Uh, is not applying the social contract theory in a way that fits me, right? Like I think a lot of people personalize this and say, like, oh, in my experience, is like, yeah, it should be this way. Uh, I think what it boils down to is uh, some acts um, go against uh, universal moral codes, right? When you break those acts, uh, or when you break those codes, rather, you violate the social contract on a deeper level uh, rather than... Um, maybe some, some issue, some moral issue you have in the state, right, so it, it's always easiest to compare, like, let's say, like, um, I don't know, like, cocaine or heroin, right, uh, usage, and I know not all states do this now, but, um, let's say it's a felony, right, um, you can't really equate people who are addicted and use heroin to sex offenders, and I think that requires, uh, deeper explanation, but what it boils down to for me is that, Uh, people that want to change the political system You know if if they want to participate politically uh, They they just need to be a part of uh, of general principles of humanity, and I think um, There are some general principles of humanity. Maybe it's like international humanitarian law or or some like General Assembly BS, but uh, I think I think there are some felony offenses that uh, you should not retain the right to vote and I think one thing that uh, really Brought me to this step uh, was um, I was listening to a podcast and it was it was a felon. He was convicted on marijuana charges, and he talked about how you know there's this really interesting process that goes on uh, is individuals you know they get in trouble, they're imprisoned, they lose their voting rights, and now they can't change the system anymore. So when you have that proportion or uh, that population that you know feel the strongest about the subject and actually want to make change, they no longer are able to vote on the change. And I think, you know, this doesn't really exist for murderers and sex offenders, right? Like, no one's advocating for this, and there's not, like, some group that I know about, at least, that's, that's like, politically pushing for this or lobbying for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so what it boils down to for me, I guess, overall, is that uh, most felons should uh, have their voting rights restored. And I think that's the real, really the only way to uh, push forward our democracy and ensure participation. And I know there's one line of reasoning that I don't really want to get too deep into, but I've had uh, when I have this discussion with different people, they say, uh, "Hey, like, I would, I would want to know if felons were able to vote, how many of them actually would like, how many of them actually care." And I think it's important to address this line of reasoning, not because it's substantial. A lot of people think this way. Um, but it it really wraps your head around you know like why this is important it's not so much that you know it's going to change the outcome of the election or you know it's like it's going to change some laws mm-hmm. the reason they should be able to vote is because it's a right uh as a citizen of the united states to do so in order to ensure democratic pro- prosperity right it's not so much of a like will they vote or like you know they're not even going to vote like why, why give them the rights back it's not if they will, it's if, if they should have the ability to. And I think that ability is key uh, to free and fair elections, right? I think um, if you have some groups that aren't able to vote, then you're not representing what the people want. And uh, for a lot of states that have really strict voting laws, that becomes a, an extremely prominent issue. So there are a couple more uh, interesting things with the social contract theory though. So there's, some four, there's four basic tenets uh, that uh, kind of are brought up uh, in Locke's interpretation. Yes, like the three major sh- social contract theories have um, slightly different interpretations, uh, like including uh, including Plato in uh, I can't remember the Republic. No, it's not the Republic. Right? It starts with a C. It's not Crete. It's uh, hmm. Credo or something. I'm not quite sure. I I'm not remember. sure. Yeah, but but. Uh, um, this comes from Locke, and so the, the four basic tenets here would be um, punishment, uh, 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 four basic tenets of punishment, right? The aims of punishment are inca- incapacitation, retribution, deterrence, and rehabilitation. Now, there's a lot to be said about uh, what our prison system is good and bad at, right? Uh, but I think when we're applying uh, Locke's interpretation of the social contract theory, we see that, sure, inca- incapacitation, um, yeah, imprisonment, retribution, uh, Maybe deterrence, maybe like some crimes are harder than others, and rehabilitation, there essentially is none for felons that are no longer able to vote. And I think felony disenfranchisement, in this framework at, at least, does not fit under Locke's social contract theory. Um, and so the way people justify uh, their positions on, on uh, felony disenfranchisement with with this interpretation of the social contract theory is a little skewed. Um, Rousseau takes it a little differently, right? So Rousseau sees uh, punishment, uh, right? like being imprisoned or you know whatever it is, punishment as a means to ensure obedience, not a civic death. So he was aware you know with, with the ideas of civic death. Um, but his is much more of uh, we need rehabilitation programs um, in the form of like education, uh, religious uh, study, job training and or or drug training programs. Um, Hobbes also was a little similar in this area. That being, you know, if you violate the social contract, like you probably shouldn't be executed, but there has to be something done. Like there has to be some deterrence mechanism or rehabilitation mechanism to ensure that people are properly reintegrated into society and uh, can offer uh, offer their sovereignty into uh, the collective good. I think
0: I well, mean, uh, it's not helping anyone if uh these prisoners are getting out of prison and then they can't vote and they're not rehabilitated. They just spent the past you know twenty five years just resenting being in there, and now they get out and then they reoffend, right We're not really properly rehabilitating them. And putting them back into the economy to actually be a good citizen.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the United States prison system is obviously not not that great. Um, <laughs> yeah, without, without say, but uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to what they can do, right? To you know, maybe someone was um, properly convicted of a offense they believe shouldn't be a law. You know, when, when they're out, like maybe they can make their story public and like garner some some, like, public support for their, their like, I don't know, change in the United States. But them not being able to vote is, is it really just boils down to being a political tool mm-hmm. used by the elites sort or of state legislators to ensure, you know, that the laws don't change or that the people's views aren't reflected. And I think you're exactly right in saying, you know, when they come out of prison, they have that pent-up rage that they, they can't do anything with it. They can't change anything. And I mean, obviously, that's understated. They can change things, right? Anyone can change anything. But not having the right to vote strips you of that, uh, identity or motivation politically. And
0: it also alienates you. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. I mean, not only, uh, I, I think like not only being a registered felon, you know, but also just not being a, a voter is, is, uh, it, it just must be a different feeling. I mean, I'm not a felon, but it just must be a different feeling, right? It makes you feel like you're not part of the, the system you're, contractually obligated to be a part of, maybe. So, we have a couple questions we started with. That being, should felons be able to vote, and if so, uh, if not, at what stage of their conviction should they be allowed to vote? Like I said, I think most felons should have their voting uh, rights restored. I think I think Florida's uh, a system or, or reform has been largely successful. Florida has restored the rights to over a hundred or over 1 million, 1.6 million citizens I believe in, in Florida alone um, from their 2018 uh, uh, reforms So I think I think people are generally moving in the right area obviously there can be more to be done there in any sector in mm-hmm. the United States there, there can always be more to be done but I think if, if we're ever going to get any to any um, tangible success it has to start with. Uh, giving everyone the right to vote and i i think regardless of conviction status right like i think even while in prison i don't see much of an argument for why you should be able to vote in prison um i mean yeah you lose you know essentially everything but the right to life in prison and i mean it can be argued that you lose that even but uh if if voting rights are inalienable, um like i think at least uh, I, i really don't see any obstacles to letting felons vote in prison i think Know if you're in prison and you want to make change, the only real way to do it is to vote in that situation. And for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, that's the only real way to make any change. Uh, And so, you know, I don't see any issue with voting on parole, probation, imprisonment. I think it all just is, you know, the same thing. I think everyone should be able to vote. Or I guess most most groups should have their voting rights restored at least. But how are you feeling?
0: I definitely think that as far as convicted felons go, you should have the right to vote the moment you step out of prison, like I said earlier. Mainly because if we... if we strip the rights to vote from felons, if the government strips the right to vote from felons, and the government is the one that makes our laws, that creates our laws, and creates the laws that allow someone to even become a felon then what are they going to make a felony next right what are they going to put out there to put you in prison and then take away your voting rights right so it just kind of it it's kind of a slippery slope at least to me
1: yeah i can definitely see that i know um i have some friends that have shared their opinions on this and I mean, it ranges from they should not have rights to, you know, they should have all rights, all all ends of the spectrum, but um, I have people that say, uh, that at least argue that they should only have um, voting rights restored uh, in the the post-sentence, or the, uh, yeah, the post-sentence era, right, when they're Mm -hmm. out of parole, probation, imprisonment. Um, And I think this is interesting because this is like the core of reintegration, right, when you're not in the system necessarily anymore, you might have a felony status, but, um, you're doing your best to work back, work yourself back in a society. And I think it's a strong argument to say that maybe you shouldn't, I guess at least it's just an argument to say that you shouldn't be able to vote on parole or probation, um, because you're still learning how to readjust or, um, how to resign yourself to, um, the social contract of the United States today. Mm-hmm. Um issue I take with that is is that these people that are, were in prison there, I mean, they're adults and they're rational actors in the United States. Uh, when it comes down to it, I don't think being on parole or probation makes you any less an um, individual or any less capable to make such decisions. And I think you, you sound like you agree on that, too. Mm. Um, and so what's interesting to me is that these states vary so much on when felons should get their rights to vote, if if at all.
0: Mm. Uh, and and, and I mean, I'm not... I'm definitely not for, you know, murderers and rapists to have the right to vote.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. But, I mean, everyone else. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's complex, right? Because, yeah. you know, they're humans too. And, and what, what separates, uh, you, you know, like, these different actors or these different individuals from other individuals, right? I mean, obviously, the acts they commit, that separates them and what they're convicted mm-hmm. of. Uh, but, but like an argument can be made here is that like they're and I mean, if they're sane individuals are psychologically sane or, you know, evaluated, uh, as sane that, you know, even if they are a murderer per se, that they should still be able to vote. And I think, um, I think at least for me, there are some acts that are unforgivable and I'm not necessarily an eye for an eye kind of person. Hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I think there are acts that, yeah, are unfor- unforgivable, right? Uh, you can't go back on them, you can't reverse them, and permanently damaging another's life in some significant way like this, uh, you you will lose some rights, and sometimes it's life in prison, or maybe it has to be uh, loss of voting rights. Mm. But I think um, some acts are so drastic, or or I want I want to say twisted, but I mean... Honestly, there's a lot of psychological issues with the perpetrators of the acts that it it might be harmful to say that. But there's a lot of issues at play here that that just make it so complicated to justify the removal of their rights. Um, That being said, I'd I'd have to say that anything that is is so extreme, that it is terrifying, um, you know, they they forfeit their rights. They're not just disobeying a law because you know they think the law is bad. They're doing it out of some you know personal vengeance or a vendetta or something. And I think that kind of rational act is uh, what needs to be punished. And uh, there's no stronger way to deter it than stronger punishment. And maybe that is the removal of voting rights.
0: All right, David. Well, it was good learning from you, and thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good time, and I hope more people at least start talking about this. I think it's a pressing issue, and Um, even if you're not that interested, at least being informed is really important today.
0: For all you out there that, uh, if you have any suggestions or you want to suggest someone to come onto the podcast, or if you want to suggest something for me to research, just email into.the.absurd.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.